You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to the Buckets and Tea NBA show. I'm your host, Catherine Eicher. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Today, my special guest is comedian, uh, family feud, audience warm-up extraordinaire. Uh, as well, he hosts uh, his own Raptors podcast called the Confederacy of Dunks pod. You can check that out as well. Him and I do a WNBA podcast together called The Pickup. If any of you are interested in learning more about the WNBA, I highly recommend that. Good old buddy of mine. It's Freddie Rivas. How you doing? I'm doing good. What's up, Catherine? Thanks for having me. What's up, Raptors fans? <laughs> uh, it's always great to have you. I love uh, always talking about the NBA through my biased Raptors fan lens mm-hmm. because, you know, the rest of the NBA media lexicon, you know, they're all they're all Celtics fans. They're all Knicks fans. They're all Lakers fans. You know what I mean? We gotta, exactly we gotta enter the stratosphere. All we have, really, when you think about it, it's the no dunks guys. They're really the only like people in America kind of holding it down for the Raptors when you really break it down. But anyways, and then there's and then there's me. <laughs> yeah, and then, then then there's you. You know, standing up for all the Raptors fan. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, with that being said, we gotta talk about Demar Derozan. Uh, he's having, uh, obviously a phenomenal season, but particularly a phenomenal week. Uh, he has broken a very impressive NBA record this week. Uh, he's the first player in NBA history to score 35 points while shooting better than 50% from the field in seven consecutive games games the last player to do that was Wilt Chamberlain so obviously this is super impressive especially the percentage because I'm sure we were kind of chatting a bit uh before we started recording like we're sure other players have done that before like scored over 35.7 consecutive games it just feels like something Kobe would have done or Jordan would have done but to do it at over 50 percent shooting uh is really kind of what sets it over the top how how do you how did you feel when you first heard that news? Yeah, just like, you know, similar to how I felt all year, which is happy for DeRozan. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he's getting his flowers. He's getting his praise. And I think there's a lot of, um, I don't want to say like DeRozan haters, but I think there's a lot of people who've, you know, gotten a lot of mileage out of criticizing DeRozan you know fairly Mm -hmm. endlessly so I'm I'm enjoying that they have to be quiet this year and and if they're chiming in with like well we'll wait to the playoffs then my response to that is sort of like 
are you having fun though? Like, do you enjoy basketball? <laughs> because if you do, you should be enjoying the shit out of DeRozan. Uh, and you know, the, the key point you hit it, the, the percentage and anytime you're in the same conversation as Wilt, it's like a remarkable feat you've accomplished. And on top of that, he's hitting jump shots. He's hitting fadeaways. He's, you know, getting doubled in the clutch and just hitting tough shots. He's a, you know, before Gary Trent Jr., DeRozan was our like difficult shot taker and our difficult shot maker. Mm-hmm. So Raptors fans, you know, you're really familiar with this. He he spent more time honing his game in San Antonio. He's in a more fortuitous scenario with Chicago. To me, it's just, it's all good. It's a great story of someone who has just worked tirelessly their entire career. You know, I remember back in the day, Durant uh, would, you know, he described DeRozan as the NBA player with the very best footwork in the league. Mm. So, you know, that's pretty high praise. Uh, Durant's also, you know, giving him his flowers uh, through Twitter right now. So he's a beloved figure and, um, yeah, it's just fun. Like, I'm really, really happy for DeRozan. And on top of that, he's winning, and it's exciting basketball. Yeah, for anybody uh, listening and not watching this on YouTube, Freddie does have a DeRozan jersey framed uh, behind him. <laughs> I certainly do. So the bias is there. <laughs> but I think it's like, I mean, I completely agree with everything you said. Like, I, I think, you know, it was sort of undeniable that, DeRozan did have some previous, um, you know, bad luck and not a lot of success in the playoffs. I won't say not a lot of success, but you know what I mean? Like there were a lot of moments in the playoffs that he kind of needed to be held accountable for. And then once he got traded to San Antonio, it was like they weren't really a playoff team. So it was hard for him in that environment to truly redeem himself. And so now in Chicago, he's finally had that opportunity. And I think one thing I really admire about DeMar is how he keeps improving his game every single year. Like that was something Mm -hmm. he did in Toronto relentlessly. And it's like, even though he's like a vet now, you know, he hasn't stopped. um, He hasn't quit that pursuit, you know, that pursuit of getting better. Like he hasn't kind of been like, oh, well, this is my game. Take it or leave it. Like he has continuously worked on his game i mean he's not like oh i'm gonna completely transform my game and suddenly become like a three and d guy but he does work on his overall game every single year and now we're really seeing it flourish and i mean he's first the bulls are first in the eastern conference right now as we're recording this thursday february 17th and it's just like yeah, he does deserve these flowers. I think people have generally always liked Demar, and because like I don't know, because he's from Compton, he just has this like extra cool factor mm-hmm. to him that everybody's like, oh man, like you don't you don't mess with that guy. You know what I mean? Like he just has that extra bit of swag to him, and I you know I, I'm super super happy for him, just like you. I I do think he has something to prove in the playoffs though, and I don't think that's me. Um, you know, crossing my arms being like, I'm not impressed. Like I am impressed, but Mm -hmm. I, I wish for him that moment to happen to truly settle it once and for all, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's totally fair. And I think, you know, you have to take the good with the bad. He's, he's on a heater right now, but you know, Raptors fans have seen him struggle as the number one option in the playoffs. And 
I think it's important to remind ourselves that the playoffs and the regular season are completely different. The coaches have ample time to prepare for the number one guy. Raptors fans saw that with Siakam against Boston. And I think your adjustments to that, like there's a lot that goes into adjusting in the playoffs and still succeeding. And I think what happens is uh, sometimes people get scapegoated and, you know, that's, that's my big thing with DeMar. It's not that he didn't show up at certain important times in the playoffs. It's that you can't like throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like it's not all explainable by one thing. And, you know, the analytics movement is wonderful. It tells us a lot, but I feel like it allowed a, a lot of fans to, you know, just kind of dismiss DeRozan as a productive, good player out of hand, which to me is just a, a major, major overreach because he's a fantastic player. Uh, and, you know, I do the Kawhi trade 10 times out of 10, like I think a lot of people, but he, he's fantastic. And, you know, yeah, he does have something to prove in the playoffs. He's only ever been to the conference finals. And um, I think that's a, that's a thing for players. And I think he has a decent chance of, of showing up in the playoffs this year, but also the East is pretty competitive. So we'll see what happens with the bulls. Like they might, I don't know. They might have a better regular season than playoffs. If I had to like, you know, if I if, you know, gun to my head right now, I would say the bulls struggle in the playoffs compared to what they've done in the regular season. I was going to say uh, when you're talking about his time with the Raptors, like, you know, it wasn't like he didn't show up in those games. It was just that Casey benched him. He did. He benched him <laughs> that, that, that Cleveland series, man. It's like, that's what burns in a lot of Raptors fans minds. It's not the like, I mean, cause you got, that's why I say you got to take the good and the bad. He also had the like, that in that buck series, he had the like, I got us dunk over Giannis to help win the series. So I think it's like, that's pretty big. That's in the playoffs that mattered. But I mean, yeah, he's definitely, I don't know if he, if like a, if a Drexler comparison is fair, but there's a lot of guys who played against Michael Jordan and just never won. And yeah. I think oh, yeah. it's that a big comparison is absolutely fair. Right. You know, I think he, yeah, he lost to LeBron James. So I think like that's that's significant, you know. He didn't lose to you know Paul George over and over and over or something like that, you know. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm um do you feel that you know, I feel like there's rumblings of an MVP case for DeMar DeRozan. I was feeling it for a while and then uh when they had that regular season game against the Nets in January that I think was on TNT and they just got like destroyed mm -hmm. i was like well that's gone uh and then you know and then the team had some injuries here and there but i feel like he is i don't he's not leading the pack but i do feel like he's making a legitimate case for himself right now yeah for sure he's like so um this is an interesting question to me because the the kia mvp ladder on nba.com has 10 candidates, right? So if you if the if the conversation is like is he in that in that top 10? I think yeah, he's firmly embedded in like number 8, number 9, something like that. Like I was looking at guys that are just ahead of him 
And I think it's it's not a wild argument that you could put him ahead of like Devin Booker. Wait, I haven't looked at the list. Who's who's here? Yeah, I can I can rattle it off for you. So the most recent. I love how you're my guest, and I'm like, can you pull up all the facts for me? (laughs) Yeah, you know we're we're coming in hard here. Since we're talking about DeRozan, I got to step up, right? Um, So number ten, Jimmy Butler. Number nine, uh, Demar. uh, Number eight, Booker. uh, Number six is Luca, uh, who's tied with Jaw for six, I guess. Um, And then we got five, Steph. Four Chris Paul, three Giannis, two Embiid, and and one Jokic. Wow. So yeah, I think for me, he he belongs in that top ten. Sure, you could argue that he's maybe eighth in, instead of ninth, but you know, you look at a guy like Doncic or or Jaw, and I just don't see it. I think they're both having substantially better seasons than Demar, and so I don't really see him as being like a legit maybe could win the MVP candidate. Although he's like a legit starter in the all-star game and like having like an all NBA type year. Yeah. I think um, the thing that would work in his favor narrative wise, because these are all narrative based awards, really, when you think about it um, is just that the bulls do have the first seed in the East Mm -hmm. and uh, I don't have it in front of me right now where Dallas is, but I feel like generally they have not performed as well as everybody hoped they would this year. So it's like hard to give the MVP to a guy that isn't like lifting his team over that, I don't know, that threshold or I don't know. They just seem kind of stuck over the last few years. And I still don't see them being more than a first round um, team in the West, but also, I'm just kind of biased, like, honestly, like, I just think, I don't think Luca's a bad player or anything, but I do think, I don't know if he's overrated or if just the Mavericks generally are overrated. Well, yeah, I mean, I, as someone who doubted Luca during his rookie year, I, I've really had to walk that back so much that <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say, I don't think Luca is overrated. He's a, you know, I just was. No, that's at, fair. Maybe it's just the, the Mavericks that are overrated. I think well, people I, are too high on that team. And I think they haven't really generated, you know, what it is that makes like Luca win. So like just, just doing some stat stuff. Um, Luca's got 27, nine and nine. You know, and DeRozan, I think, uh, where where was he? I just had him. Um, yeah, so DeRozan's 28, 5, and 5. And I think uh, that's that's a pretty substantial lead for Luca statistically. Mind you, you know, I think Luca his team relies on him a lot more, and DeRozan has more of like kind of like a almost like Spursian, like not every pass is meant to be an assist. So it's kind of like more of a free-flowing offense the dallas and chicago records aren't too far apart from one another so yeah i mean if you were making you know if you wanted to make the argument that DeRozan is like on the same level as like luca and devin booker i don't think you're like wholly out of place where i would probably say you know the conversation needs to just stop is if you're comparing DeRozan to like jaw or curry sure. I, I think that's kind of the end for him like i don't think he's really having close to those kind of seasons no it's funny because like in our breakdown i was not planning on having a is DeRozan having a better season than luca uh debate but i think it's a fun debate only here we in are that, 
<laughs> just because we're here. And also, like, my argument would be, just for the sake of it, would be, I think you could argue more that DeRozan is making everyone else around him better. Right. Like, like, he, like what he's doing is resulting in winning more so. Yeah. Than versus yeah, where they were last versus fair. where Chicago was last year. You know what I mean? Like also, yes, they have Alex Caruso and they have ball, but like they're both out. They're both out. And it's like really DeRozan has been the major factor yep. in this team improving so much where like Luca as great of a player as he is you can't necessarily claim that he's making everybody else around him better. Am I crazy? Oh, well, I think we're sort of splitting hairs because I think Luca does make people better around him. But I think I, I get what you're saying as far as like, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of like equal, equal, equal. Um, no, I'm a big fan of equal <laughs> opportunity <laughs> offense, right? Like I think a Steph Curry, like setting tons of screens and moving the ball like crazy and doing a bunch is is more effective than like a James Harden like stand around and watch me offense. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. I'm not saying Luca's like full James Harden, but I think he's closer to that than Steph. And I think DeRozan is a little bit closer to like the equal opportunity type stuff. So yeah, I, th- I think there's an argument there. I do think from a, like a basic statistical, um, you know like evaluation i i would give it to luca but uh i mean well yeah again we'll see how how long this scoring torrent goes on and mm-hmm. i think levine's still out right so that's a part of this thank you for supporting me on this journey i <laughs> we gotta work it out you know i mean yeah it's fine i just thought i could see i just thought it'd be fun if i could see if i could argue it you know but no, um, the Rosen's the best bull that ever lived. I think it's fair to say that. <laughs> Let's break it down. Um, really, I do think this year's MVP race, I mean, we're obviously like we're mid-season. We're about to enter the All-Star break right now, uh, is really going to be between Jokic and Embiid. Like, I think it's really going to come down to these two. They're both having phenomenal years. I actually, I mean, I'm not really emotionally attached to either of these teams. I think Embiid is going to edge it out. I just have this feeling that Embiid is going to take it. Um, But their numbers and both their records are very comparable. They're almost identical. I just have this feeling that they're just not going to give it to Jokic like two years in a row. And I think like this whole Philly thing has just been so crazy and I think people might want to reward him for playing this well uh, throughout the just the whole chaos that has surrounded this team and hasn't let any of it get to him. What do, what do you think? I, I think you're bang on. You know, it's a it's a narrative award. You you know you have to be incredible to get yourself in the narrative. But once you get to that point. You know, we've seen many times like uh, the, the whether it's like the Derrick Rose MVP where LeBron should have won. Um, yeah, I think like Nash may, maybe won over Shaq or something. But you know, the Carl Malone over um, over Jordan. And, and like there's a lot of there's fatigue. Mm-hmm. We don't want the same player to be the best every year. Uh, and I'll even say, actually, I, I really do think it's a three 
person race. Uh, when you look at Giannis's numbers mm-hmm. and output this season, he's really he's there. Uh, I think he has a, a better record than either of the uh, of Jokic or um, Embiid's team. Yeah. So, which is significant. Um, and, but I think also narratively, he has it twice. It's kind of like he doesn't care about it. And he's managing himself and trying to go back to back here. And you can tell that Embiid cares about it. And it's sort of, it's sort of like tied to this, like, is this, is this the last culminating, like, you know, journey of the process? Like Ben Simmons is finally gone. There's just one guy left from the whole experience. And we brought in Harden, which I think probably is like signaling, you know, this, this process is culminated, right? Mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm. Now is the time for success. And I think that if I, if I had to call it right now, I would say Embiid just because, you know, he's, he has less assists than Jokic, but his defense is significantly better. So I think that end of the court, when you're kind of like parsing through stats and, you know, the records are pretty similar is the difference maker. So I, I think Embiid right now, but I think it's really close to be honest. Yeah, I do too. And I think you're right. It's like Giannis is such a unique person that he doesn't get caught up in these things and that he doesn't care about it as much as as they do because, mm-hmm. I don't know, he's just, wow, what a special guy Giannis is. You know what he I mean? Is. Like, he just, yeah. he's just like, I just want my family to be good and my teammates to be good and everybody to be happy. And that's all he kind of cares about. And it's like, it's so beautiful to watch. It's almost impossible not to like him, you know? And I think he isn't in these conversations more because again, because it's just like you said, it's not who he is, but I, you know, you got to figure if somehow the bucks win another title, which is very Mm -hmm. much in the realm of possibility. Cause I do believe the league is completely wide open. Yep. He, he has to enter like goat conversation, doesn't he? He's already like not goat conversation. Cause that's like sort of disrespectful, but like he, he, if there's any player that's on a, on the, like the track for like perhaps being in, you know, top five all time territory, I would say it is him. Um, yeah. Like know. I'm not saying he's suddenly better than Jordan if he wins one more ring, but I mean like, he enters a, a top five and a top or a top 10 conversation. For sure. It, it's know, just, he's so incredible. He's also what so many, I think like regular fans want. He's a guy who came to a place that was struggling mm. and he stuck there and took them to a championship without creating a super team. Mm-hmm. And that's like what everyone kind of hopes. That's what like a guy like Lillard wanted, right? He wanted to be mm-hmm. like, no, uh, screw this super team stuff. Like, I'm just going to stay here and we're going to win it all. And that in recent NBA history, like that's not a thing that's happened. So, mm-hmm. you know, LeBron left, uh, KD left. Obviously, Steph, right, is, a, you know, did that. But, um, you know, I think Steph, rightfully so, has uh, he's put himself in that conversation. Not GOAT, but like, you know, all time great. I think so. I mean, I think, you know, for Steph, you just got to look at how much he's influenced and changed the game. Yes. Right. Like it's just, yeah. I mean, that's a whole other conversation that I haven't fully researched. (laughs) 
<laughs> I I really just wanted to talk about who our mid season MVPs are, and I do think it is between Jokic and Embiid, and I think Embiid will will edge it out. But and we'll see. I, yeah, please go ahead. Can I just say that you know just with your with your Giannis is so charming stuff. Mm-hmm. If you want to see like an ultimate Giannis is so lovable video, just Google uh, him at a press conference talking about when he learned to dip Oreos in milk. Uh, it's so cute and wholesome and funny. And it's like a nice two minute clip. And you're like, this guy is absolutely ferocious on the court, but he's genuinely excited about milk and cookies. So yeah, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here. Obviously I love Giannis, but I blame guys like Giannis for every guy who has an online dating profile saying how much they love dad jokes. Cause it's yes. just as a comedian, this is ruining everything Insulting. for me. Cause guys are like, Oh, you're a comedian. Do you want to hear my dad joke? And I'm like, no, I don't. And you're like, <laughs> hear oh, your you joke mean... off the internet. I don't. You mean bad joke. Yes. Is that what yeah, you're trying like, to say? Like you're going to tell me guy, a bad joke? Every guy is trying to cultivate a nice guy persona with how many bad jokes they have. And I'm like, no. I mean, yes, I want you to be a nice guy. But it's like so funny to me that when guys hear that I'm a comedian, that they want to impress me with their dad jokes, a.k.a. bad jokes off the Internet. And I'm like, no, I don't want this at all. I don't know what to say, Catherine. Except I might be on an island with that. I might. Well, you're might just, just... Ta- you're tapping into a deep, deep well of male insecurity. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it's not your fault, but I'm sorry. You're going to have to continue to experience that. Look, between that and DeMar DeRozan's MVP case, I am on an island alone. <laughs> and I have limited supplies and I might have to find a way off. You know, Listen, I'll send a flare over. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna need all the flares. <laughs> um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about this trade deadline that happened last week. Uh, last week, uh, if you didn't get a chance to check it out, I did an episode immediately after the trade deadline uh, with uh, comedian Vong Show, and that was tons of fun. Uh, Freddie, are you still drunk or hungover off this trade deadline? I feel like we're still talking about it. It hasn't fully escaped us. It was basically some of the biggest trades we've ever seen frankly in league history certainly mid-season and i i just want to know like how are you still are you still shook like how do you feel i'm not still shook i feel like <laughs> i feel like i host kill it, my but... whole premise no trust me this is a it's not a yes and but it is a no but so follow follow me here <laughs> I'm not hungover because I feel like I had the house party and like a bunch of crazy stuff happened. So I had to like sober up just to like mm. wrap things up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I feel like right now I've made it to my house is okay. And we're, we're at brunch, a hyper, hyper Toronto pod right now, but we're at brunch the next day and I'm not too hungover, but I'm also like, I'm low energy. And and I am asking about like, hey, what happened last night? You know. Mm-hmm. So really, I uh, I butchered your analogy. I think is the end of that story. But um, yeah, I, there, I I don't know. A lot of crazy stuff happened. I I can't really remember 
a deadline that was more active. Obviously, you have the giant trade. You know, as a Raptor fan, even seeing CJ McCollum on the Pelicans, that kind of blew me away because it's like, mm-hmm. man, that's significant. Mm-hmm. Halliburton to the Pacers, that's massive. Um, Sabonis to, you know, the Kings. Like, I think a lot of big things happen and even some pretty substantial minor things happen. Like, I think the Bucks put a lot of energy into getting Ibaka. Um, White looks like he's he's just thriving with the Celtics. You know, you got Harold in the, you know, going to the Hornets for a playoff push. So there's a lot of kind of, it was just, it was busy. And I think if you're someone who likes transactions, this, I mean, you shouldn't be complaining. It was, it was a really wild time. Yeah, I agree. And I, I just think, um, like you, you mentioned CJ McCollum, like any other year that is hands down the biggest trade in, in a trade deadline season. And here we are with so many other trades that you almost forget that it happened. Sorry, maybe we got frozen there for a sec. All good. But yeah, like it was just so much. I was watching the Ben Simmons uh, press conference today Mm -hmm. because I just felt like that would be significant. And I feel like a lot of people are still questioning if he's like lying about his mental health and stuff. And I'm just like, I don't know. Like I, I'm actually starting to feel bad for him. Yeah. Like I'm not necessarily a Ben Simmons like sympathizer, but I am starting to feel bad for him at this point because like we don't have any evidence to say that he is lying and people keep pointing out, oh, well, the timeline that the news was released. And it's like, well, that's just the timeline the news was released. That's not the timeline of any actual mental health problem. Mm-hmm. That's just the timeline of you finding out about it. So for me, like, I just don't understand why everybody is so hung up on this. And then it's like people are just like, it's either he has mental health issues or he's a spoiled brat and he's lying. And I feel like nobody's considering the fact that both things can be true. Like he could be a spoiled brat and have mental health issues. Yeah. To me, what one of the most frustrating things about like any kind of like basketball conversation is, is the fact that, I don't know. It seems like it's difficult for the larger public to have multiple truths. And mm-hmm. I mean, most situations in life have multiple truths. And this is one to me that has many different truths. And I also feel like the mental health converse, you know, conversation around Ben Simmons is totally out of bounds. It, first mm-hmm. of all, is kind of like, it's, there's a lot of narrow assumptions of what is a mental health crisis and what someone is going through. When I think, you know, Bell Let's Talk comes around and, People are, I mean, this year everyone was like pissed at it, which was kind of funny, but I think, you know, normally we're kind of open to this concept that mental health presents in a lot of different, often unseen or invisible ways. So to me, it's kind of a quantum leap to say, I believe in mental health and respecting people's mental health, but this guy is faking it Uh, or he's paid too much and I don't care. You know, I think people are giving them pers- themselves permission to like not empathize. And that to me is just like, it's just lazy, you know, and from a basketball perspective, 
I think it's very exciting. There's a lot going on. You know, I think you can be frustrated at what how Ben Simmons like played this out and also not scapegoat him or just like demonize him as a person. Mm-hmm. I, I've been saying this since last year, you know, since they lost to, uh, to the Hawks. Of course, it was egregious that he wouldn't dunk and he was missing the free throws. And, you know, it was bad. He didn't show up and it kind of like it helped tank the team. But he wasn't the only problem. And after, you know, the Doc Rivers and Embiid pressers, I think he was like, okay, well, the two top dogs of this team or this organization, uh, at least from a visible standpoint, just threw me under the bus in like such a massive way mm-hmm. that I'm out of here. And then you got a guy like Maury come in and he's kind of like, he's tough too. So he's like, I don't care if you're quote unquote out of here. I'm not trading you until I get like a massive superstar in return. So it created a, a pretty toxic situation. So all that to say, when when a guy like Ben Simmons says that Philadelphia is a toxic scenario, I think it can be true that it is a toxic scenario for him. Perhaps, but perhaps like, you know, a healthy scenario for Maxi and uh, Matisse Seibel and Curry and Reed right. and Harris and whatever. So yeah, a bit of a rant there, but I think people need to relax on trying to assess someone's mental health that they don't know. They, I think they just need to like put that aside and, and accept it as an unknown and just dive into basketball. Cause that's all we can see. Right. Mm-hmm. I know. I think you made a lot of excellent points and like, I, I completely agree with you. And I think, Ben Simmons had enough basketball reasons to want out of this situation yeah. that, you know, mental health or not, I, I think there's enough reasons on paper for this guy to not want to be there anymore. And there are other players that have forced themselves out of situations yeah. simply because they weren't happy in ways that are just as, if not even more egregious than what Ben Simmons did. I mean, look at how James Harden tried to leave Houston. Like he yeah. showed, he barely showed up to training camp. He deliberately showed up out of shape. He did not want to be there. You know, it's just that they actually traded him early in that season that that actually, you know, we got over it. But mm-hmm. if they didn't, if they held out and were like, we're not happy uh, and we're not going to trade him for just anybody, we want a superstar in return. We're not interested in rebuilding. I mean, he could have been stuck there for a long time, too. I mean, and, and also, like, you know, Anthony Davis, you know, forcing his way yep. out of New Orleans. You know, he basically quit on the team for half a season, too. So, like, there are multiple instances where players have done this and they haven't been demonized the way Ben Simmons has. Mm-hmm. And that is also what's making me more sympathetic to him at this point. Me too. Also, also, too, like, I'm not, like, the biggest first take fan or anything, but I did watch a clip after this press conference and Stephen a basically went off to say that he felt that Ben Simmons people did not prep him well enough for this press conference because he's still coming across as a liar. And I actually thought that that was morally or journalistically out of bounds because I was like, you claim to be so well connected with all of these players. It, you should have some more proof than that. Like you should have proof if you're Stephen A 
you should have proof that his people did not prep him well enough because you are connected to those so-called people, right? Like he's always going on and on about all his sources and how he knows and how he knows. And it's like, well, you should actually know then. And I just think like you're saying that he's, you're basically saying he's a liar without any proof, I guess for the sake of debate, because it's a debate show, but it's like, how are you going to do that? And then, uphold your integrity as a journalist at the same time with these baseless claims so there's just so much around this that i'm just truly not a fan of and lots of reckless takes yeah and and it's just like it's still going on i think even once he starts playing again people are going to continue to debate this for some time and you know, I was kind of joking last week on our episode that the that there's like an editor's assistant or an intern that's putting together this 30 for 30 in real time, you know, <laughs> and, I love that. and like it's just going to keep going. I, I don't, it, you know, I think even though this trade has happened, I think the narrative around Ben Simmons is going to to linger for some time. And it's definitely as a as an NBA fan, it's interesting to watch, but like I really, just for his sake, hope that he can kind of end these conversations of doubt around him and, and move forward. Me too. I, I really just want to watch him play again. Like he's a he's a player I really enjoy, uh, and um, you know, runner up defensive player of the year last year. So lots of crazy skill. Um, and I, I feel like every time this sort of like forcing your way out conversation comes up, I just have to bring up Kevin Love. Because mm. it wasn't a long time ago that Kevin Love was like forcing his way out of Cleveland, but they just like nobody seemed to care. <laughs> and yes, he didn't get traded and he's just still there. But now he's playing good. Anyways, it's really funny to me. His like, because uh, yeah, I love the idea that like some players weren't forceful enough, I guess, or rude enough to actually force their way out. Right. Uh, it's just kind of comical to me. That's so funny because, yeah, because he was kind of like, you know, he really wanted out. He was really miserable. He was playing, but he was pissed off. Yeah. You know, his numbers were going down. He'd really kind of given up. But now that the team is a winning team again, he's been like completely reinvigorated. Yeah, he's been awesome. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. Um, And I guess he did have enough loyalty to the people there. And like, obviously, they're playing. They're paying him really good money. And it's like, well, it could be worse, you know? Yeah, and, and it does make you think about like a situation like Philadelphia, right? Where how untenable was this and how much responsibility is laid on Ben Simmons and how much responsibility is laid on the organization, right? You have John Wall not playing all season in Houston. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They've agreed to something. You know, he's getting paid still. He's not playing at all. So I think... There is, you know, it's a, it takes two to tango, right? So I think there, there's a lot we don't know. And that's why I kind of like hold off like mental health stuff. But just like back to the trade and like madness for a second. I'm just so excited to see uh, Ben Simmons on the Nets. I think it's going to be amazing. I'm so excited to see Harden on the Sixers. Like how's the spacing going to work? Is Harden going to acquiesce to Embiid? There's just lots of fun kind of like. Is the this first is, time yeah. we're going to see Harden in a Philadelphia jersey the All-Star game? 
Maybe. I think, I think so. so right? I think he yeah. will debut in a 76ers jersey at the All-Star game. That's incredible. Like, the, And then obviously the like the next level of petty. I don't know if you saw the... Um, and a Harden's a guy I feel sorry for a little bit too sometimes because people like to make fun of him. And, you know, that hurts at the end of the day. Like if, if the whole world is kind of like taking jabs. Mm. But I don't Durant, feel sorry for him yet. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> but... Durant and LeBron, did you see this when they were picking? Oh yeah, what a class! Like, oh, that happened like just after we recorded last week's episode. Oh, oh my god, last, what a classic! Laughing, it's good stuff. The clipboard in front of LeBron's face. First of all, just the fact that LeBron even has a clipboard is incredible. Like, yeah, I know. Yeah, his exactly. annual clipboard. Like, I don't think LeBron James ever holds a clipboard under any other occasion. No. But it's just his annual like clipboard time. See, this is why I love LeBron because him and I are the same age, and I also might prefer it on a clipboard than like on a laptop or an iPad. Oh, for sure. You know, and and then he's like, he's going through the list, he's giving it a lot of thought, and then and then Kevin Durant's just there, all stoic, trying not to laugh, trying not to have any emotion or personality whatsoever, based on what happened earlier in the day. Uh, I think this is the third consecutive All-Star game that Durant's missing due to injury. I think so, yeah. Which is Yeah, wild. I mean, he's he's a we've missed a lot of this uh this part of his career because because uh, of injury. It's it sucks. Mhm. But I guess it'll be it'll be easier for uh Harden to show up in a Sixers jersey um without Durant there. Um For sure. Wild, hilarious wild wild stuff i'm actually i'm really looking forward to to all-star weekend this year i didn't ask you this freddie but is there anything in particular that you that you're looking forward to uh yeah i haven't looked into it too much but i'm pretty jazzed for this like new format on friday there's mm. like a whole new g league uh incorporate like you know there's like four different teams and there's sort of like a like a playoff like when it goes on type thing i i mean i'm totally butchering it i gotta look into it but um yeah on friday night uh for the for the rookie sophomore thing there's a it's kind of a different format and it look cool awesome uh with that let's move on to our raptors homer moment uh finally uh so yeah we have uh jared allen in the all-star game instead of pascal siakam uh we talked a little bit about this on your pod the confederacy of dunks but uh, yeah, a, a lot of people feel slighted for Siakam. I personally mm -hmm. think, you know, even though Jared Allen's numbers might not be quite as good currently, he's also having a great season. Cleveland's having a great season. Mm -hmm. It's in Cleveland. Yes. So I kind of get why this choice is made. I don't know if you feel slighted at all or not. Uh, I I don't. Uh, I, I think I have. I was like maybe twenty percent slighted when mm. when this all started. And I think I, I'm kind of like down to like 0% slighted. Jared <laughs> Allen has had a great year. He he deserves this. So I think, you know, does he deserve it over Siakam? I think it's pretty tight. You know, there's a, there's a debate to go either way. But the fact that it's that tight, uh, and, you know, I think this is where a lot of Raptors fans would disagree. They would say it's actually not that tight. Um, but... Yeah, I just, you know, Jared Allen's having an incredible year. Like I was checking out, you know, even his statistics, right? Like, you know, just just by like fantasy basketball standards, he's actually ranked higher than uh than Pascal this year. Mm. So, you know, 16 points, 11 boards and a block and a half is like 
pretty significant. Like he's not Gobert out there, but he he's just he's having an amazing year. And I also kind of fall back to this idea that does any seventh or eighth or ninth place or sixth place team really deserve two all stars? Like, or I mean, is it yeah. egregious if they don't have two all stars? And yeah, I think my answer is no. Like, if if you're if you're not one of the best records in the NBA. It's, I don't know, the, like, the complaining seems a little bit not, like, self-aware. Yeah, I agree. And I think, too, what also kind of hurt Siakam was just, like, he was injured to start the season, and then it took him a few weeks to really get going once he came back. So it's really only in the last six to eight weeks that he's been playing at that all-star level. Um, whereas Jared Allen's been doing it for the full season. So I think that's also a, a major factor in it as well. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say this, uh, in, you know, Pascal's defense, we were talking about narrative before and yeah. I think, like I, I, an unfortunately negative part of his narrative is this interpretation that he like was totally bad last year. So like, check this out last year, 21.7 rebounds. Uh, and four and a half assists on like, you know, a worse effective field goal percentage than he had had. Like it was under uh, 50%, but like not bad. So I think part of it is that folks sort of decided that he he was a total bust last year. And that's not true. Mm-hmm. No, I, so- um, no, I completely agree. Like, I think, you know, obviously, like, the whole Tampa situation is, like, I'm going to do my best to block it out of my memory. Like, I don't yeah. even want to remember that season. Wire uh, as... season two. <laughs> yeah, it's the wire season Important two. things happened, but, you know, a lot of <laughs> characters and storylines that kind of suck. Oh, that's such a good reference. Uh, although, you know, I'm one of those like, hey, you know, season two was really important, blah, blah, blah. Oh, kind of people. You like the docs? Okay. I don't enough. like the docs, but they are an important part of of the story. Right? So is Tampa. So was Tampa. Oh, God. I hate Tampa so much. But uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think he has kind of an unfair um negative narrative not reputation that's too strong but unfair negative narrative mm-hmm. around him but hopefully the rest of the season will be him uh smashing that to pieces so yes. i look forward to that and also i wanted to ask you you know now that the raptors have this well-deserved well-earned break uh minus fred van Vliet, mm-hmm. uh what do you think the raptors like homework should be what do you think we should be working on or thinking about um over this break for the for the rest of the regular season uh zones like zone zones and more zones i i forget the the i think portland with that that really bad loss to portland might have been the first game that i clued in i'm sure it was happening before but that we were getting zoned really hard and that seems to be the going idea uh, in terms of stopping the Raptors, obviously, you know, when you don't have Fred on the court, who's one of the best three point shooters in the NBA, um, by the way, also excited to see him in the three point contest, mm-hmm. but, uh, and Scotty in the skills mm-hmm. and precious in the rookie. Okay. There we go. Um, <laughs> got them all right. Got them all. 
Um, but yeah, I, I think like how they operate in the zone uh, and how they kind of like stop the bleeding is going to be key because obviously Gary and Fred can hit some threes, but you're going to need, you know, Thaddeus in the middle, catching the ball and distributing it. You're going to need, uh, you know, Precious and Boucher to hit some corner threes. You're going to need Pascal to just kind of like make hay in the paint, which he has been. So I think that's sort of like what we're going to have to deal with. We didn't get a shooter at the deadline. It doesn't seem like any of the potential shooters like, you know, Utah or, you know, Champagne or Flynn or Svi, definitely not Svi. You know, it seems like none of those guys are going to factor in to be like a major, like 15 minutes every night guy in the rotation. Mm-hmm. But then I think that leaves you with this like hyper funky lineup, which is fun on defense and in the fast break. But as you build towards the playoffs where there's notoriously, you know, way less fast breaking, you're going to have to figure out how to operate efficiently in the half court. And yeah, I think teams are only going to zone us more and more and more unless we can consistently beat it. Um, yeah, I think that's an excellent point. And I, um, the athletic wrote a really cool article about, um, the Raptors half court offense. If anybody wants to check that out, I, uh, I completely agree. I think for me, my answer would be, we need to figure out who our eight man rotation is, you know, like, I think we need to give, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, Nick nurse only playing like six, seven guys Mm -hmm. to try and win games. And, you know, over the last week I have noticed he's playing more and more, more people. I think, you know, he's got to figure out like, you know, the top six is very clear and we need to figure out who is that number seven and who is that number eight that we're going to ride with um, into the playoffs. Because I think like, you know, six, seven people, it's not sustainable, especially in a playoff series. I think, and it looks like, you know, right now we're currently seventh, but we were sixth last week. And I think we are definitely going to be in the play-in. We might even skip the play-in and be in a playoff series. Mm-hmm. I think we got to figure out who that rotation is and then get them more and more comfortable in more reps and more rotations that way rather than just being like, oh, what does Malachi have tonight? Or what does Utah yeah. have tonight? Hi, everyone. So we got cut off for a sec there, but we're back. And uh, just to wrap up what we were talking about there, uh, Freddie, I was talking about how I feel the Raptors need to think about who our eight-man rotation is and try to finalize that and hone that in uh, before the playoffs. Um, was there anything else you wanted to add uh, to your thoughts? Uh, yeah, you know, just kind of like jumping at a point you were saying earlier, nurse has played more than like seven or eight guys recently. So I think, yeah, I was looking at the last like three games, uh, yesterday and each game had like nine or 10 guys playing some minutes of significance. Like I know one of them was a new Orleans blowout, but in that game, 14 guys played. So that kind of checks out. But and, you know, I I think a part of it is Fred not being there. But even in the Nuggets game, more guys played. So, yeah, I feel like with Thaddeus here, he's going to kind of like inject himself into the lineup without fully subtracting. Mm -hmm. You know, like I I think that's permission for Nurse to 
not use seven or eight guys. So, yeah, I mean, I think we're going to see a battle between Precious, Boucher, Birch, Thaddeus, and then, yeah, like a roving 10th guy, I guess, whether that's like Utah V, Champagne, or Flynn. You know, Flynn's had some fourth quarter minutes past little while, and I'm not even mentioning Banton. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, no, I uh, I completely agree. Um, with that, let's move on to our hot girl summer Nick Nurse highlight of the week. Uh, Nick Nurse went to uh, his Instagram to post about a thing called Noah Basketball, N-O-A-H. And I don't even know what to call it. It's a thing. It's a it's a piece of technology hmm. that analyzes the way you shoot a basketball. And Nick claims that he has used this to help with some of the players improve upon their shot. He didn't name anyone specific, Hmm. but he was like, yeah, like we were able to use this and see that, oh, this person was struggling with their shot, but they had a 41 degree angle instead of a 45 degree angle. And this was, you know, this piece of technology was able to help us see that. So now this little video seems like a bit of a commercial for it. I don't know who needs this. It's pretty niche. Um, but I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that that is cool. And I feel like it's it's appropriate for the uh, the Raptors or Nick or any ambassador of the Raptors to be promoting something like that. Because, like, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's uh, Chip England, the San Antonio Spurs, like, shot doctor was, like, the main guy around the NBA for a really long time. Obviously, with, you know, Kawhi and... And other players, like he kind of taught them how to shoot. But we have Pascal. Uh, and, you know, I think OG could kind of shoot in college. But, I mean, college is always so hard to to transfer over. But, yeah, we, we have legit a lot of guys who have become top-level shooters. Kyle Lowry probably is the biggest one. You know, when his time as a Raptor, he became one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA. So, I mean, the proof is there. We're, we'll, we'll see how it goes the next couple of years with guys like Scotty, Precious, Banton. You know, this guy is a guy where I'm like, man, if he can cobble together any kind of consistent shot, that totally changes everything for him. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a good Homer moment. They're, they're you know, propping up their own <laughs> brand. Um, I love it. Uh, Freddie, thank you so much for joining me, for dealing with our technical difficulties, for coming back, uh, for helping me finish out this episode. Uh, tell us, where can people find you on the internets? First of all, anytime. Always happy to make it work. Um, this is a great pod, and you're awesome. But um, yeah, uh, you can find me uh, uh, at Freddie Revis. On Twitter at Freddie Noel Rivas on Insta. Uh, on my my podcast is uh, Confederacy of Dunks Basketball Podcast, where Raptors slash NBA Pod uh, dunkspodcast.com. And uh, you know, Catherine already mentioned it, but check out Buckets and Tea for sure. We're having a great time getting to know the NBA. We just did our 14th episode. So, um, yeah, support. Uh, we're, we're happy to be doing something kind of cool. Yes, you just said the name. <laughs> Freddie, I love you so much. You just said oh, the name of this pod. <laughs> I did. I, I said buckets and tea when I was trying to say WNBA, the pickup, 
Uh, nice catch. You're already listening to this pod. I mean, listen to it again. Sure. But thanks, you know. <laughs> Thank you so much, Freddie. Uh, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at it's me underscore Catherine spelled C-A-T-H-R-Y-N. Uh, thanks again and happy All-Star Weekend, everybody. Uh, take care. See Bye. Ya.